to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Monday, August 19th. We are coming off of a fantastic weekend of tennis in Cincinnati and are really into the home stretch. U.S. Open qualifying starts this week. That's a crazy thought, I know, but we are about a week away from the start of the year's final Grand Slam. Joining me to break that down, to talk about Cincinnati, talk about all of the things we will be covering this week on Cracked Rackets in the build-up to the year's final Grand Slam, is my doubles partner, partner in crime, and dare I say it, the man whose hair's on fire, Maxwell LeBauer-Roth. And Maxie, welcome back to the mini-break. I heard just the slightest stutter of, of when, when you're going for partner, and that's just how <laughs> long it's been since we've done this. It's terrible that that has to even feel unnatural by any means so so i'm just gonna <laughs> apologize for for taking so long to to get back into the swing of things that's hilarious as i was stuttering i was like oh no he might ask me to redo it <laughs> like, that was not a good one uh that's really funny but yeah it has been a while since we've had you on maxi obviously you've been busy doing all of the things the most interesting man according to himself in the world does and I, you know i'm just curious you know what what have you been thinking at about this tennis from afar Ooh, i mean you're asking me for for three weeks or eh, like two-ish weeks worth of tennis takes which in uh, one sentence could, could take a, an entire podcast <laughs> rublev uh, good medvedev better <laughs> curios crazy uh <laughs> What else? Like Andre asked, Andre asked, he's going to be a number one. Um, free joke. plug for free plug for this other podcast, but there's a podcast called The Morning Bagel, and it is really an everything type of day, an oh. everything bagel type of oh, day. Oh God, you're already <laughs> starting to plug it. Don't don't listen to anyone who's listening. It's it's not happening. Yeah, that was a little inside joke for us. That was for Westoff to listen to later. But yeah, it's really been incredible tennis. As I mentioned, we're going to break down all of those things, talk about what we'll be previewing throughout the week. But the place we obviously have to start is Cincinnati. You ready to rock and roll? Let's do it. Then let's start with the women's side because uh, they played their final first. We've had more time to digest this result. Obviously, interesting uh, tennis throughout the weekend. Uh, We're not going to talk about these quarterfinal results, but just to set the scene for our listeners going into the weekend, we had Sophia Kennan versus Naomi Osaka, two of the top young players on the WTA Tour, but also two of the most impactful and noticeable, significant players of the 2019 season facing off. Kennan gets the win there, 6-4-1-6-2-0. Ashley Barty, number one seed, coming off of her first first match loss last week in Toronto. She makes the semifinal here, uh, rebounding against Sakari, 5-7-6-2-6-0. Kuznetsova knocked off number three seed, Karolina Pliskova, 3-6-7-6-6-3. So obviously big upset coming into the semifinals. And then Madison Keys ended the run of Venus Williams 6-2-6-3. So just going into the weekend on the WTA side, we had four or you know three players who have shown great form in 2019 in separate moments and then Svetlana Kuznetsova whose past results speak for themselves. Let's start with Kuznetsova Bardi. Uh, Kuznetsova ends up taking this match 6-2, 6-4. It's very interesting because uh, if you follow tennis Twitter closely, you followed Svetlana Kuznetsova. You know, she had trouble securing a visa for herself, a work visa, to come into mm-hmm. the country uh, earlier in the year for this stretch of the season through the U.S. Open. 
I can't imagine what's going wrong there. But obviously, given what's going on in U.S. immigration and customs right now, not shocked that there was a little problem. But Kuznetsova ends up getting it all straightened out. And to come here and make the finals, I mean, just talk about a storyline. Oh, seriously. And and for her, too, just with the way this season has gone for her, not, you know, not nothing you know, great for her. Uh, you know, a lot of first round losses uh, in Toronto before this. She gets to the round of 16, so that was good to see. And then this kind of this breakthrough performance for her. You know, taking out Pliskova, Stevens, Sevastova in the first round, um, and then of course take taking out Barty in this match two and four in their first matchup. I mean, just a really wild performance for her in this tournament, and to you know do that after this whole you know, visa thing. I'm sure that gave her a little spark to kind of show them that I deserve to to be traveling and doing this because you're, you know, hindering me from doing something that I'm really good at. So uh, just kudos to her for a great week. She kind of did what Gasquet did on steroids, right? It's like, you know, (laughs) both of these players have had very limited amounts of success at the highest levels in 2019. They come into this event and really just string together a bunch of really good wins now for Svetlana Kuznetsova, as you mentioned, for her to beat Pliskova, for her to beat Stevens, for her to beat Barty back-to-back. I have no idea what this bodes for her at the U.S. Open. This could have just been an incredible week, and look, I feel like as you get older, more and more so you just have those weeks where your legs are like, yeah, it's working this week, and then you, you you have other weeks where it's like, nope, just the body isn't feeling good, and so for her... Uh, an incredible run. I mean, I feel like we don't even have to break down what she does tennis-wise because if you haven't seen Svetlana Kuznetsova, you have not been following the WTA Tour over the past 15 years. I do want to take two seconds to talk about the Ashley Barty component of this because, yes, she loses a questionable match in the semifinals, but for Ashley Barty, you know, in the round of 16, she was down a set and a break. I think it was 5-4 to Annette Conteve. She ends up scrapping that match out 4-6-7-5-7-5. In the next round quarterfinals, as we mentioned against Sakari, she's down a first set 7-5. She wins the next two sets 6-2-6-0. She just fell behind the eight ball a little too often, and I I'm not worried in terms of her U.S. Open uh, chances, prospects, because she's been objectively the best player on the WTA across all three surfaces this season. Uh, But it is interesting to see this sort of loss, to see the way Kuznetsova attacked her on the hard court. I just, I feel like Barty often too reliant on that backhand slice. Yeah, that's fair. And really quickly, I, I didn't want to cut you off because, you know, I'm, I'm respectful. I'm like you. Um, but You mean I haven't been here in a while and I know i got to do some kissing up. <laughs> no, that's not how this works. You know that. Uh, but you just really quickly, you said, you know, Kuznetsova that, you know, she didn't she hasn't had the, the kind of success, you know, on, on the tour. She's been ranked number two in the world back in 2007. You know, she was top five 2006 2007 2009 so it's not like she hasn't had the success it's just it's been a while and i don't, I don't okay. know what gasquet no i'm just saying is. 2009 was 10 years ago I, i'm <laughs> just saying i'm talking 2019 seasons like they have yes. not had the best 2019s yeah and, and you know that that's to be expected i feel like at this point but yeah uh, anyways um barty yeah I, i'm not worried about her hardcore season either and uh you know, I don't know if it's too much reliance on the backhand slice. That's you know a lot of times what keeps her in points. It allows her to yeah. you know kind of slow slow down the slow down the pace and give her time to get back into the rally. Um, but 
I think this is just a case of Chris and Sofa playing really good tennis and, and Barty, yeah, maybe could have done a little bit better to uh, go from defense to offense, but uh, overall, I think you just kind of have to give credit to Chris and Sofa. I mean, look, look who she took out before this. Like her tennis was mm-hmm. on this week. So uh, I don't, I don't know if you can really uh, blame uh, Barty too much here. Yeah, I completely agree with you all. You talked about people whose games were on. That's a perfect segue for us to get into our next player, the player of this week, Madison Keys, who, as I mentioned in the uh, quarterfinal round, stopped the run of Venus Williams. In the semifinals, she matched up with someone who, though ranked below her, I would say objectively has had a better season just across uh, each surface, across every event, much more consistent in young uh, American Sophia Sonia Kennan. And for Madison Keys this weekend, like she has done so many times, she reminded all of us fans of tennis that there's, you know, no player on the WTA tour when they're playing well, hits the ball harder, puts more pressure on their opponent than Madison Keys. Seriously, I mean, she just, she strikes the ball so clean. And you're right. It's just when you see her play like this, I mean, you, you see why she's, you know, ranked top 10 in, in the world. And uh, there's no reason why she couldn't, you know, win a win a grand slam right i mean she's i think she won has she won a grand has she won a u.s no, open finals the u.s finals. lost to sloan yeah lost to sloan in the finals of 2017 so look at last two results of finals in 2017 and semifinals in 2018 i don't see any reason why if she doesn't play like this she couldn't win this year Absolutely. And look, for Madison Key, she is now back inside the top 10, a place where it really feels like she belongs. She completes along, you know, Kiki Burton's last year, got the Charleston uh, on clay and then Cincinnati double, ironically. And, you know, D- Darren Killer Cahill with this comment on the commentary uh, mentioned Madison Keys follows that up. She also wins Charleston and Cincy this year. So I guess gamblers next year look at who wins Charleston. Keep that in mind as Cincy comes around. Um, but yeah, it's look, I mean, in that semifinal, as we mentioned, Madison just plays such good tennis, knocking out Kennan uh, five and four. It really, Kennan, it did feel like was a bit fatigued, but it also felt like there was just no way for her to consistently hurt Madison. And then you look into the final for Madison Keys, seven five, seven six over Kuznetsova. I guess let's do this now. So my mother, my little brother, both at the Cincinnati final, uh, they got the chance to go there with my little brother's tennis team this weekend. They were watching, doing all that things. Really cool. But my mom calls me last night right away and, you know, right off the bat, I pick up the phone. Hello, mom. She goes, oh my God, do I have to come on the podcast? I have so many things I need to tell you about Madison Keys. And I'm like, mom, you are coming in hot. And she goes, no, you got to see this girl. Like she hits the ball as hard as any male player I saw all weekend. Her firepower is incredible, Alex, but oh my God, is she undisciplined. She's she's like, she needs to do hundred ball drills just to work on that consistency. I was getting so frustrated with all of the errors. I was like, all right, all right. And I guess uh, the the tangent I was ready to go on is if we did because you know I feel like for my mom it's a valid perspective all of the things she said there pretty yeah, true like, no, I feel totally. like a lot of I people, mean that, that those are kind of the the things you you expect to hear about Madison you know just not discipline makes some kind of loose errors here and there but obviously strikes the ball so clean and rips it when she does sorry keep going. No, I agree with you. And then my little brother was saying, you know, he's like, oh, my God, she just slaps and all of these. And he's like, but when she slaps, it works. And I was like, Nick, I think Madison Keys is the female version of you. And Nick was laughing. He's like, yeah, I get why you'd say that. Um, <laughs> and, and so that was a whole ordeal. Um, quick power rankings. We talked about this last night. In terms of tennis parents, we've all got them. And obviously, you and I wouldn't enjoy tennis so much if we didn't have support from our parents. 
I gave you a night to think about this. Would you say it's still the order I was coming on? Probably your dad knows the most, then my mom, then a big drop, then probably your mom, my dad. So I think this is a crucial topic for listeners. It is. And I think I might give your mom the edge because because of recent just recent history, right? So your mom's going to the tournaments with Nikki and, uh, you know, paying attention a little more. My dad back in the day when I was, you know, a grinding USTA stud, <laughs> um, he was in it. Like he knew all the players, he had it down and he's, he's transitioned to the, the football and soccer following because my other two brothers, those are their sports and, uh, that's what they're playing currently. And he, so. and he's done with you. It's not that he's done. He every once in a while I walk in the living room. There's tennis channel on. I'm super surprised and just stoked. Um, but but yeah, it, it's not the not the same it, it used to be. No, I feel. I guess the whole reason we went on this tangent is for the a common fan. And I guess my mom, your dad, above average in terms of common fans because I've seen a lot of tennis. But again, watching Madison Keys, it just sticks out to you. You see that forehand. You see that backhand, the firepower she's able to generate with her serve. When she plays her best tennis, the the ball is in her court. You know, she is in control of the match. And that that's just such a valuable quality to have as a part of your game. I mean, on the tour, I can't think of many other forehands, even backhands, that are as big as hers when she's really on. I mean... I'd say... Pl- uh, not Pliskova. Pliskova. Uh, Kvitova's forehand is huge. It is. And I obviously, Prime Serena's her own category. Yeah, that, that doesn't even count. I mean, Sharapova, her forehand can really pop. Yeah. I mean, oh, look, Barty can do a lot of things well, but I don't think she has keys as firepower. Osaka no. on the hard court, I mean, she can hit big. Yeah. Like, there, there's no denying. And, I mean, we saw how many young players have we seen had success? I, again, the Kvitova, the Kvitova forehand. I love Benchich. Can she ball on Durescu? She's got the power on both sides. But, yeah, it's that elite category. I agree with you. Yeah. Uh, she's she's right up there with the, with the best, so. No, completely agree, and I guess just you know to recap again, for her to get the title here, get that sort of confidence going into the U.S. Open, uh, she look she hasn't had the best slam results in uh, 2019. We've seen that, but what are your thoughts on Madison Keys heading into New York? I mean, it's clearly been for the last two years her her favorite Grand Slam, and you know she makes a a quarterfinal this year at the French, which isn't a bad result, especially for her on the clay. And, uh, you know, her 2018 season, obviously a great season. She makes, you know, two semifinals in the, at the French and U S open makes a quarterfinals at Aussie open, not the greatest Wimbledon result, but it's not been the, the worst year for her. So, and look, this is the confidence you, you want going into the U S open. So, I feel kind of good. I, I I think you can expect, you should expect to see her in at least a quarterfinal uh, at the U.S. Open, and if not, you know, even further. Let, let's see if she can take that title. If she keeps playing the way she does, you know, here, uh, I'd be scared. I'd be scared of her. She's going to be a top 10 seed, as you mentioned, semifinals, finals of the Open the last two years, two fourth rounds before that sort of legitimized that come up. Oh, yeah, she knows what it takes to succeed in New York. This is the exact sort of result you want going into that sort of tournament. And now she'll have a week to relax, to rest up. And yeah, it's 
it's very easy to rest up after you win a tournament like this. You're sore the next day, but you're like, man, I just won. Like, I'm ready to get back out there. I'm playing well. So I agree. She is certainly one to monitor. And I should say, one of the things we're going to be doing along with a very fun and important and thrilling and something we've been working hard on announcement that's going to be coming out later this week that I promise listeners you will enjoy. That's a little tease for you. But as part of that big promotion, we will have two GSP episodes coming out later in the week. Five men, five women to watch that we're watching most closely for a host of different reasons going into the U.S. Open. We'll also have a GSP uh, doing a draw breakdown that following Monday, the first Monday of the U.S. Open. So be on the lookout for all of that stuff. But before we get into any of that, Rothman, we have to talk about maybe the most uh, thrilling result in terms of us next-gen fans of the 2019 season. I, of course, am referring to the rise of Daniil Medvedev this weekend as he takes the first Masters 1000 title of his career. Uh, But let's reset it a little bit, the place we obviously want to start, the semifinal round. Uh, On the top half of the draw, Daniil Medvedev versus Novak Djokovic, primetime match, rematch of their fourth-round encounter at the Australian Open, a match I have called on previous podcasts my favorite match of the 2019 season. And I mean, even before we get to the stats, Rothman, let's just... You know, three six six three six three. So let's take it at face. You know, six three. You're down a set to Novak Djokovic. I believe it's three all. And then Daniil Medvedev's arm starts giving him problems. You can tell he's getting a little cranky. The the Djokovic wear down is finally getting to him. And then the flip switches, Roth. And I mean, just how impressive was Medvedev's performance on Saturday? I mean, you you said it that three all game. That was it. I mean, I, I think Djokovic had a break point at that three all, if if I'm not mistaken, and uh, Medvedev pulls out. Or you think he's down love thirty? He pulls out a huge serve, two huge serves in a row. Um, he's down a break point, pulls out another big serve. I mean, I think that was the thing that I, that I've, has always impressed me with Medvedev. He pulls out the big serves when he needs them. Uh, but other than that, I mean, jeez, it. it it's so, so impressive. Um, I think we've talked about before his movement. Uh, we've totally not given him enough credit for his movement. He, I know we've said he's a good mover for his height. He's a great mover for his height. He. Oh, wait, hold on. This Again, this is a little cur- sneak behind the curtain. Last night, did I not say better mover than Tsitsipas on the hard courts? Yeah, no, I think he's a better mover than CT Paz probably in general. I, I maybe the clay. Uh, I know. Yeah, the I clay know. is jury still. And can I just follow up? Sorry to cut you off, but on that serve, a huge stat from this night because you mentioned that's the thing that changes, right? Daniil Medvedev, and so many times I, I made this point on Twitter. We've criticized these next gen guys when they come up against the Djokovic, Federer's, Nadal's, Murray's of the world that they play too passive. You know, particularly the per- player that comes to mind, Alex Zverev. He's six feet behind the baseline. He's you know using his length and his power to hit balls back with depth, but he's just playing neutral tennis from his perspective. Daniil Medvedev, you know, down a set at three all, decided I'm not doing that anymore. I'm going for broke. I'm not going to beat Djokovic by playing his game. I'm going to have to. We say this, I've, I've said this before, and the hardest part about beating Novak Djokovic is there's only one way to do it. 
you have to hit him off the court because he's not going to give you the match. And that sounds hilarious, right? Like, oh, the way to beat Djokovic is hit him off the court. Good luck. Well, yeah, that's why, in my opinion, he's the best male player ever to play because the only way to beat him is to hit him off the court. And that is the hardest thing anyone has ever been asked in the history of tennis to do is to hit this guy off the court, particularly three out of five sets. like only Nadal with his discipline of cross, cross, cross line and only Federer who's able to actually just come to the net and hit approach shots at will can put that sort of, and you know, a treeing stand can put that sort of pressure on Djokovic. Well, Daniil Medvedev in this match, for and you know, you look at this uh, stats, he only goes 11 of 26 on second serve points, which, you know, 42%, not good. But starting, you know, first set, he his second serve average is 92 miles per hour. That's not going to cut it against Novak Djokovic. Second set, 107 miles per hour. You see it start creeping up because, again, at the end of that second set, he starts taking chances. Third set, his second serve averaged 120 miles per hour. What that shows is he was like, you know what? I'm done with the second serve. I have to hit big or I'm losing. And you just, you never see young guys make that sort of mid-match adjustment to play more aggressive, to leave it all out there. And to see him do that, that's a sign of stardom. That's a sign of I am going to be a presence here in the future. Dude, that is such a crazy point that you just made because I, as I was watching this match, I think it was also maybe in that three-all game. I want to say it was Deuce. He hit a second serve up the tee on the on the Deuce side. That was a first serve. It was a straight-up first serve, 130 mile an hour. Aces Djokovic. That was it right there. I think I think it might have even been. Um, yeah, I think it was at Deuce, and it that's the kind of. You know, straight up balls that you need to have to beat a guy like Djokovic. Like you said, he did hit Djokovic off the court, and he played so smart. The there's the highest percentage tennis came in at the right times. Um, it, it just it was the kind of tennis that you need to play to beat a guy like Djokovic, and it was executed perfectly, absolutely perfect. And yeah, I, look, it, it's the fact that. So he holds, right? He fights off those break points. He holds for 4-3. He still looks frustrated, but he holds for 4-3. Well, then Novak Djokovic, who this happens to sometimes, he takes it, you know, he has a lull. He played one bad game, and Medvedev takes two early returns down the line, and just like that, you have your break, and just like that, we're going to a third set. And it's literally, you have to, you know, you have to take advantage of the chances that you're able to create. Well, Daniil Medvedev in this match, three of three on the breakpoint chances he has. He knows much, you know, few and far between versus Novak. If I have it, take it. He was, I wouldn't say he was coming to the net, but he was throwing in drop shots, making Novak uncomfortable, not letting him play in one position only. Now, Novak Djokovic, uh, you know, this loss aside, not worried about him. Still the prohibitive favorite going into the U.S. Open because, again, you just see the way he's able to move around the court, survive the avalanche that is Daniil Medvedev. Uh, so, you know, that we can hold on to that point later. But yeah, for Daniil Medvedev, it's like, you know, the, he's comfortable going backhand to backhand with Djokovic. How many Dude, players can you say only, that about on tour? Not only did he look comfortable, he looked confident. Like, he I preferred. was watching. Dude, I was, of course, I was watching these these ground stroke rallies and um, his backhand almost looked better. I'm not even kidding. It almost looked better than Djokovic. It's just so low, so flat. I also think... Medvedev was fine saying, okay, I'm going to be the one who goes down the, down lines the line on this rally, yeah. and that's fine. You can hit your forehand cross court, but I'm going to get to that ball, and I'm going to do something with my next forehand too, so don't think you're comfortable. Uh, and I think that was one of the things also that I've just seen more and more from him. He's got that Federer-esque 
ball tracking and and anticipation. He knows exactly where that next ball is going, and, and I'm not sure if that's you know part of what makes his his uh, movement seem so good. But he gets to everything. He really does. His defense is you know there because he's able to get to every ball, and and his length definitely does help. We saw him stretch for a few that just would not have been there if he didn't have his length. But he just he really anticipates so well. I'm really happy you used the word ball tracking. You know, ball tracking and anticipation are synonymous, being the same thing. But ball tracking for Daniil Medvedev means he's baiting you. You know, he's going down the line knowing you're going to hit the cross court, but that's the play he wants. He yeah, is he now knows trying where to yeah. go. So I completely agree with you. And again, it's just it's so different. He's not just like a serve bot. It's not big serves, big forehands. It's craft, it's skill, it's slices, it's Dude, taking he, he stands oftentimes at the beginning of points, four or five feet behind the baseline. Yeah. I mean, it, it's he's definitely not a necessarily a big serve, big forehand kind of guy. He really does construct points. Sorry to cut you off. I don't, I'm not going to do no, that again. When I, when I saw 07 Marin Cilic, and I, I thought to myself, that's what this could be. And Daniil Medvedev, it's that same thing where you have a 6'6 body, all of these skills, but it just it, it seems like he also – it's just not a he's not reckless like he's totally he's so patient out there and it's just such a rare quality to see from a young player and i guess you know moving on uh because i feel like we've talked do you have any points on the on the djokovic perspective or can we talk about the final yeah i mean djokovic is djokovic he he's fine <laughs> he'll he'll yeah. be okay exactly and so moving on to the final uh, not you know, gonna talk about gasquet go fan no need I mean, Richard Gasquet is great, but like, I, I mean, I, I don't okay. really, I, just I, I want to bring talk this point back fan. up. He's not fat. <laughs> he is not overweight. You're crazy. Dude. For, for everyone I, listening, I talked to Gruskin last night and he goes, Gasquet's put on a few pounds. Dude, uh, he you're has. crazy. Dude, Gasquet used to be the epitome of physical fitness. I'm not, I mean, look, he's an ATP top professional. He just made the semis of Cincy. I'm, obviously, he's in shape. Um, but I don't know. He's he's had a few too many morning bagels, or or croissants, as you said. Yeah, go from schmear to low fat schmear makes a big difference. <laughs> trust me. Um, no, yeah, I mean, look, David Goffin is just a beautiful tennis player. We I, we've said it before. It's sort of that country club tennis player where it's just yeah. so smooth, so the way easy, he can redirect so natural. balls. Ugh. Yeah, I also thought though. It was a perfect matchup for Daniil Medvedev uh, into mm-hmm. coming into that final because I just Gofen did not have a way to hurt him. Right. I mean, he he comes off of a match where he's forced to at times put that ball down the line and be the aggressor to a match against Gofen where he's like, okay, at some point I'm going to get a ball where I can attack. I don't need to be as patient as I as I was. Right. Sorry, I can be as patient uh, with Gofen and and not have to feel like I need to be the aggressor like I was against Djokovic and, and that's exactly what happened he, he took his chances when he needed to uh he served well um actually he he served well in the sense that he won a lot of his first serve points he served 53 percent which is uh pretty low from, well, from it, was, it was really really windy I mean you it could was. tell both players were you know for Gostan, seven double faults 54 percent of his first serves going yeah they were both struggling Definitely. But yeah, it, it just was a totally different matchup compared to the match against Djokovic. And of course, Go- it, it does favor Medvedev. 
Gofen mixed in a lot of drop shots. I know Medvedev plays far back, but it just felt way too often Gofen tried to bail himself out of the point. Yeah. And it worked a little bit at the beginning. I thought it was maybe a long-term play. Maybe he knows Medvedev's got the weak legs. He's played a lot of tennis over these past two weeks. He's trying to tire him out over the long term. But I really thought that was bailing Medvedev out. I thought if Gofen would have been patient and kept it physical, kept changing directions on Medvedev, you know, he lost that first set 7-6, but Medvedev was starting to crack. He was, you know, yelling at his coaching box. He's pointing at them, Threw getting frustrated. Racket. Yeah, exactly. And so there were chances for Goffin. Now, I feel bad because, again, David Goffin looked really good this week. He can do a lot of different things on a tennis court, and I think that's another one of his skills is just, you know, similar to Medvedev. Um, or I should say, he does a lot of things, not similar in terms of the ball they hit, but just the the different ways they can attack you. The difference is Gofen does it on the rise. Medvedev does it six feet behind the baseline, right. um, But if that makes sense. But, I mean, no, again, for Daniil Medvedev to follow up that Djokovic win, he did, he, you know, the the anti-Andre Rublev. Rublev beats Stan, beats Federer, you know, the bad versus Daniil Medvedev. Medvedev beats Djokovic, goes on, uh, gets frustrated, but plays a better match against David Gofen as it went on. Yeah, and, and, you know, I think it was interesting. I actually took a second to watch uh, his match or just some highlights uh, against Gofen in Wimbledon, that round of 32 match where he loses in five sets. Uh, and this was, you know, right before uh, Medvedev's, you know, three tournament final streak. Um, it You could tell that that he had he has a read on GoFed now. I, I I think he probably went to the went to the tapes, looked what happened in that five setter, and realized okay. And I mean again, the way he's playing right now is a level above the way he was playing at Wimbledon. But he's like okay, I can take my time. GoFed isn't gonna hurt me, and I think GoFed's go to the drop shot was you know his way of saying I think this is my you know kind of you know, aggressor move. I think that was Gofen's uh, best way to, to throw off Medvedev. And, you know, like I was saying before, Medvedev, he's an anticipator. He tracks well. He started to read it, uh, and it kind of went downhill from there for Gofen. But uh, overall, not a bad match for Gofen either. I, I think there were just, you know, like you said, that, that first set easily could have gone his way. Uh, and there's just a few things here and there that, that could have made the difference. Yeah, and look for David Goffin in this. This is the first Masters 1000 of uh, final of his career. He's the first player from Belgium and the 116th player ever to make their first Masters final. Uh, for Daniil Medvedev, he becomes the fifth player from Russia to win an ATP 1000 title. Quick, can you name? I think you can name three of the other four, or, or three. Yeah, three of the other four. Go for it, real quick. Um, well, Kachanov won one. Paris last year. Yeah. Um. Wow, other Russians. Um. Who am I? Who are the, who are the best Russians? There's two. <laughs> there's two more that I'm thinking. I think I, uh, 2003. It was uh, Roddick, Federer, Hewitt, and this person. Um. Is is David Danko? Is he Russian? That's not who I was talking about. But yeah, that's one of the other ones I thought you were gonna guess. Oh. Uh. Oh, we're th- oh further back. Like it- I'm scared no, because I don't want to no, no, miscategorize is- people. <laughs> is Safin yeah. Russian? Yeah, Safin is Russian. Okay, correct. okay, that was the other one. And then the last one is Chesnikov, which I I don't even know who that is. Okay, so I don't blame you. Um, uh, I was scared to <laughs> to mess up some uh, 
some people's home home countries here. So. <laughs> exactly. And then, uh, you know, you look at some of the other things uh, coming out of this. For Daniil Medvedev, he'll be in the fir- in the top five for the first time in his career. Uh, RBA actually entering the top ten for the first time. Feels like he deserves that after his season. And he's the top F- ten, and he's also in the top eight for the race to London. Absolutely. And deservedly so. I, I don't think anyone would deny he's been one of the 10 best players on tour this season. Uh, FAA, a young guy moving his way into the top 20, 20. for the first time. Uh, Miomir Kasmanovic into the top 50 for the first time, number 49. Uh, so a lot of interesting things happening. Uh, I should also say Daniil Medvedev, the 96th player ever to break into the ATP top five, uh, the fourth Russian to do it after Safin, Kafilnikov, and Davidenko. And then again, uh, last stat, because I saw this one going around a lot on tennis Twitter. Uh, people are well aware now Daniil Medvedev leads the ATP Tour and wins in 2019. He's at 44, Nadal Ridiculous. 41, Federer 39, Djokovic 38, Tsitsipas 37, which again feels like pretty good perspective uh, of how this season has gone. But here's my last stat for you because I think this is fascinating. From 2007 to, two, and this comes from ATP Media Info, from 2007 to 2016, we had nine first-time ATP Masters 1000s champions. I'm going to name them to you. Tell me if any of them sound off. Djokovic. Yes. No. Yeah, exactly. Not surprising. Now Bandian. Hmm. Not yeah. surprising. Andy Murray. Not surprising. Joe Sanga. Maybe a little surprising that he won one, but not really. He showed that level. Uh, Ivan Lubacic showed that level. Robin oh, wow, Soderling. Yeah. So that Robin Soderling, Soderling. Not, yeah, but there's that blip 08, 09, 2010, no, where course. he was that good. David, David Ferrer, not shocking, longevity. No. Uh, Stan Wawrinka, not shocking, Grand Slam champion. Marin Cilic, not shocking, Grand Slam champion, right? All those people make sense. So from 2007 to 2016, there were only nine players who won their first. That's the, you know, and, and two of them were Murray and Djokovic. So that shows just the, the stranglehold the big four had on that. Now let's go from 2017 to 2019, where there have been nine first-time Masters 1000s champions. Again, I'm going to tell you the name. You tell me if you're surprised or not. Alex Zverev. Not surprised. Exactly. Feels like he's got a couple more in him. Grigor Dimitrov. Uh, With the competition, surprised. See, I'm going to say there is that brief blip in 2017 he makes the semifinals of the Aussie Open he wins the year-end tour remember and and the next name Jack Sock Paris Masters winner 2017 there was that brief moment where we're like wait a second are these guys gonna get good now like are we about to get a little renaissance yeah no that's fair and the fact that that year-end tour for oh my god is ridiculous (laughs) Um, that's that's absurd but yeah, uh, they're they're both they're both a little surprising. Yeah, what's really shocking? No Rayonich, no Nishikori on this list. Um, right. But so Delpo, that he's won one. Shocking or no? No, it's shocking that he's only won one. That's yeah, the there, real. There should shock. be multiple. Yeah. Uh, John Isner got Not hot in shocking. Miami. Yeah, again, this feels justified. Like these are the players who have defined 2017 to 2019 in a non-big four type of way. Um, right. Kachanov, Paris Masters last year. I think at the time, shocking, not anymore. Yeah, and he it feels like he belongs in this group, right? Like yeah. He's not out of his element amongst this conversation. Yeah. Uh, D- Dominic team. it took him long enough, but yeah, it felt like on clay, once Nadal stops, he's going to get a couple of those. Yes. Uh, Fognini, a little late resurgence, a little sock-esque in the surprise. That, that is surprise. Yeah, but 
I I don't dude, know. More so- he he shouldn't. To be honest, he shouldn't be winning masters nah, he's the soderling of this list no he's no not. he's not because soderling made me- yeah you're right he's the lubicic uh, sure no ivan lubicic was a better he's had a Dimitrov? better draw <laughs> <laughs> yeah of the same list yeah and then the last one of course daniel medvedev so again those are the players who have broken through since 2007 who have had moments where they could be uh you know uh overcome all of the big three big four elements of an atp masters tournament um, I feel like that group sounds about right. I just think this stat's interesting because it's like if if I'm going through all of those players, those are the non-big four players I feel like have de- that have defined 21st century ATP tennis, except for well, maybe C- except C- for C- maybe Raonic. Well, Tsitsipas has made a final though, right? Like Tsitsipas FAA the 2020s, they'll get on that list. That'll yeah, be I mean, their yes, decade. They, they will. They will. Yeah. So it's just you know really interesting list, and again it. Gives you perspective of you, you list those guys: Zverev, Dimitrov, Sok, Delpo, Isner, Kachanov, Team Fognini, Medvedev. Feels like if someone's going to win a, a slam, that's not what, a member of Federer. Yeah, it's got to be one of those group. I, I completely agree with you. Um, but all right. With that being said, let's I, again. I want to do two other things before we rock and roll. Uh, it is U.S. Open week. We at Cracked Rackets thrilled about that. We will you know be covering it every day here on the mini breakthrough qualifying as the draws come out. As more info becomes available to us, we'll do breakdowns of that. As I mentioned, GSPs later in the week. Five men, five women to watch as we head into the U.S. Open. Uh, Roth and I, you know, there's U.S. Open qualifying. It's rare that we actually do this on uh, the day that uh, it's being released, but there's U.S. Open qualifying going on right now as we speak. Ty Kwiatkowski uh, serving for the set up 40-30 on Mikhail Yimmer, the number nine seed. Sam Riffis down a set. Jensen Brooksby up a set. Tommy Paul drops the first set to Yana Konifman, 6-4, down 1-0 in the second. Rybakov up a set, 6-4. Hyun Chung up a set, 6-3, 2-0. you know, and what names are really sticking out to you from the men's side on the qualifying? Well, I mean, first of all, it, there, there's, it's just a, it's a cool draw, and I think the first thing I just want to bring up, ridiculous that TP is did not get a wild card that he, for Tangelo over TP, like I'm sorry that that just didn't seem quite right to me. Um, but past that, I mean. I think the the cool thing to look at are some of the second round potential matchups. Uh, I mean, we're we're looking at maybe uh, Ananda versus J.C. Aragon second round if they can mm. both both pull through. Uh, you know, shout out to you also for that uh, Nanda uh, cracked interview that's out now. So cracked fans go go take a take quick a tangent. To that. On, quick tangent on that. I asked because I did I did Nanda last week as well as uh, USTA girls eighteen San Diego champion Katie Valdinets and Nanda from SoCal Valdinets from NorCal. I asked them about the SoCal NorCal debate. So <laughs> for our listeners who want to wait in, I said you know my former doubles partner Max Rothman would swear to the death on SoCal, and so we, it was it was funny. I promise you, listeners will enjoy it. Yeah. It, it, <sighs> Trust me, we'll we'll be arguing about that uh, once <laughs> I take a listen. Um, yeah, a few other interesting matchups again. Second round, we could see a Mitch Kruger Kozlov second round if they can both uh, pull through their their first rounds, which would be really exciting to see. Um, what what else do we got? We got a potential I mean, Rybakov Ty Kwiatkowski second round. We have potential uh, Riffis Chung second round. Chung being in the qualifying is uh, you know pretty wild. 
TP Yannick Honifman first round match. Awesome. Um, and that match right now, again, 6-4-1 all. So we look forward to talking about all of that. I, I also want to emphasize for people in New York or, you know, the U.S. Open facilities not that far away from them and they're interested, qualifying is free. You know, free. this entire week it's free tennis. So why you wouldn't go would just, you know, you're harming only yourself. You have the opportunity to see all of these players top 250 in the world or they get wild cards because they will be top 250 in the world soon you are you know doing a disservice to yourself as a tennis fan uh, for not going to check that out but i agree a ton of uh, great stuff there i want to quickly look on the women's side again uh, matches in play today but the fun one emma navarro taking on uh you know the young american taking on number one seed Rybakina, alley kick in action uh, taylor townsend seated here and Lee in action, Yusu Arcanada, a lot of good players in play. Rogers so again, and Dolhide are playing. Yeah, so again, such good tennis just all the way throughout. Be on the lookout for that all week long. And again, we'll be giving you updates throughout the mini break on the winners and losers as uh, the week goes along. But one other tournament I want to talk about real quick this week, Winston-Salem. And it's not about any results or anything like that. Simply put, Rothman... What do you Andy think about Andy? Yeah, <laughs> What do you think about Andy not playing the U.S. Open, playing Winston Salem instead? Uh, he's just trying to take the pressure off himself. I love it. I love it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it makes sense. Look, the, the guy hasn't played much. He, he, yeah, he played Cincy, and it, you know, didn't go quite as well as you would have liked. Started off really shaky in that match. Um, but yeah, I think he's just trying to ease into this whole thing. Not don't go and play three out of five. He doesn't need that on his on his body. That's the last thing he needs. So uh, go play Winston Salem. Get just a a little more two out of three set experience. You know, well, experience isn't the right word, but just no. Get it, some is. More match, it is. It is. You need to get matches on your belt. Yeah, I, right. I completely agree with you. Get some more um, matches on his belt, and then uh, he'll he'll ease into it. I think it's really smart. Fair, but just listen to these potential second round matchups in Winston Salem. I lied. I am going to do a little draw analysis. Um, Murray versus Tennis Sandgren round one. Winner plays Denis Shapovalov. Come on, come on. That's, That's worth awesome. the price of admission. Matt Stokowiak, if you're not there, I'm going to be very upset. Um, Kasmanovic versus Popperin. Fun uh, potential battle in round two. That's fun. Rublev in the draw. Uh, got a potential round two. Giron Sam Query. All about that. Potential round two. Duck Healy versus Hercatch. That's a next gen battle. Uh, Francis Tiafo p- plays the winner of Shardy Raymond Sarmiento round one. That's juicy. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. Nicholas Jerry in the draw. Steve Johnson in the draw. Uh, I mean, just up and down this list fun tournament i'm just saying you know you're gonna get lost in the u.s open qualities and the u.s open stuff but don't forget there are a lot of fun players in this one there definitely are it, this is a great tournament the the seeds are all you know in that that 20 30 to 50 range and so it, it high quality tennis even though uh you know we're, we're getting close to the u.s open and it is only an atp 250 this is a strong atp 250 guys trying to get you know prep for the u.s open so uh, you'd be, you know, missing out if you weren't watching this tournament. Again, that bottom half of the draw. Murray Sandgren winner plays Shapovalov second round. Second round. You know, It's awesome. One of those guys is going to be done by Tuesday on the tournament. That's just crazy to me. But, Rothman, it's been such a pleasure to have you back. You know, we're a, a, as I mentioned, big announcement this week on the Crack Rackets front. Upcoming. You want to be on the lookout for that because I promise, listeners, you will enjoy that little tidbit of information. Any teasing you want to do? And I want to give you the final word as well. Well, it, it'll have to do with the U.S. Open. Um, that, that's, that's all I'm going to say. The only thing I, I, I'm going to leave us with 
Medvedev plus eighteen hundred on the odds for winning U.S. Open. Mm. I might, I might have to put some money down. Mm. Might have Brad, to do it. Our boy BG did this whole, you know, uh, they were asking him non-big three, which the premise just made me upset from the get-go. But what non-big three player on the men's side could win the men's singles tournament? And then he was like, I don't think any of them. He goes, it's impossible. None of them are going to do it. He's like, I think my Raiders have a better chance at the Super Bowl. But uh, he's like, but I, you know, I don't think either's happening uh, anytime soon. So it was funny to hear him say that. Plus eighteen hundred. What's Sophia Kennan? Do you have the Kennan odds? I'm very very curious. Um, yep. Hold on. Because it, you can make a case, right? She's been as good as uh, two semis at uh, Toronto and Cincinnati back to back. Cannon's not even in the top eight. Um, <sighs> mm. Dude, I can't mm. even find odds. Oh, wait. I have found odds okay. for Cannon. We're looking. I'm guessing plus twenty five hundred. Yeah, in that range, twenty-five to twenty-nine hundred. Dude, I know the draw hasn't come out. We, you know, screw like who's gonna win. We should do what round they're gonna lose in. Those are the fun bets. What round they're gonna lose? You can say how far they make. That would be interesting. Yeah. So, um, we'll keep that in mind. Again, a lot of fun stuff planned on the Crack Racket. So again, check it. Uh, check that out. Real check quick, out our Crack Barty's. Number three at plus eleven hundred behind Dude, Halep and Serena. So twenty bucks on that now. Now, yeah, now <laughs> lock that in before people hear this podcast. That's a great, <laughs> yeah, right now. Um, Keys yeah. plus eighteen hundred. Sorry, I'll, I'll let you go. That, that's no. Enough. Keys plus, mm, we, I mean, dude, look, we could do a 10-minute betting, Sam. We have all week. We'll save this for later yeah. in the week when the odds start to come into better form. But again, if you've missed any of the action, be sure to check out our website, CrackedRackets.com. On the podcast front, so many great Cracked interviews have come out recently, coming out, coming forward. Trevor Fauché, Jimmy Bendek, as Max Menthon, I believe, Govananda out today. Katie Volley, that's later in the week. A ton of fun content planned to get you ready for the U.S. Open. So remember, like, rate, subscribe, review this podcast, The Great Shot Podcast, Cracked Interviews Podcast, social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. You know the deal by now. And as always, a shout-out to our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff, who have a f***ing editing job to do, as always. But with that being said, for my wonderful co-host, the man who thinks he's on fire, Maxwell LeBauer-Rothman, for our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff, and for our entire team at Cracked Rackets, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Maxie, what do we tell the listeners? That's a break. And we will see you all throughout the week. Get ready for the U.S. Open, people!